0: Happy Father's Day to the fathers. Uh, we do have uh, a little gift for the, the guys. Um, these are some pens we ordered. Just as a reminder, it says, strong is the man who leans on God. And uh, they're, they're at the little table there on your way out. Feel free to pick one up uh, and, and use that and be reminded that truly um, being a man is not something you become by growing older or having children being a man is what you become when you learn to depend on God and that's what David told his son Solomon uh, be a man and so a challenging thing we we do as fathers Uh, there's no uh, you don't learn this in school and there's no classes really that you can take it's kind of trial by fire and every child has been raised by sinful parents, every one of us. None of our parents are perfect. And yet we have uh, the greatest, perfect example of fatherhood from God. And uh, the greatest thing about that, I think, is, is our God's unconditional love for us. And I think, dads, I'm, I'm not going to be preaching a special Father's Day message. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 24. Uh, so you can start to open your Bibles there. And if you don't have a Bible with you today... Uh, then we'd love to put one in your hands. We have some extras in the back, so just put your hand up and we'll bring a Bible to you. Matthew 24, and and as I complete my thought, um, unconditional love, dads. Unconditional love. This is what your kids need. They don't need all your money. They don't need a lot of gifts, material stuff. What they need is to know that your love for them is without condition. That means that you don't say, I love you if you do this, or I love you because you do that. I love you, period. I may not agree with the way you're behaving. I may have to discipline you now and again, but the root of all of that is what? Unconditional love. And there's nothing your child, grown or still young, can do or should be able to do to get you to stop loving them. And there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. There's no sin you can commit to make God stop loving you. Because He loves you unconditionally. Even when you reject Him, you cannot get Him to stop loving you. Because He is love. Amen. Amen. Good. So Matthew 24, there's one more place we'll be. And actually it's going to be our starting point, Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. So if you don't know where Isaiah is... Then look in the table of contents and that will lead you to the book of Isaiah. We'll go to the forty sixth chapter. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for having a place out of the sun to meet. Lord, we're we're thankful for your provision for us as our Father. We know that um, even earthly fathers love to give good gifts to their children and your word tells us how much more you being our heavenly father love to give good gifts to your children and you spoke that lord specially regarding your holy spirit we know you wanted to and you and you enjoy to fill us with your spirit lord to put yourself into our lives and we can't imagine life without you, Lord. We're thankful that uh, we serve a God of love and a God of power. Pray over the study today, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things from your word, that you would help us to uh, just learn a little bit about more about who you are. And I pray uh, for this time to be sanctified in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We are in Matthew 24, a, a passage of scripture that is commonly called uh, the Olivet Discourse. Um, if you were here with us last week, we were in Matthew 23 and uh, just read Jesus' railing condemnation to the religious people, to the hypocrites, the Pharisees, the scribes, and just highlighting all of the, uh, the issues that he had with them and their hypocrisy that they had focused so much on what was external and had lacked the internal uh, representation of, of God to the world. And, and so we learned, we started with the foundational truth, if you remember from Samuel, that God does not see as man sees, right? We, we look at the outward appearance, that's what impresses us, how things look. But God looks where, folks? God looks at the heart. And so we learn that foundational truth about God. So where do we want to focus as people? We want to focus not so much on what's external, but on what's internal. Because that's where God is looking. That's where God is working. So we're going to learn another foundational truth today to kind of get us into Matthew 24. Which, again, Matthew 24:25, We are going to be talking about the end. Things to do with the end. So there are things that haven't happened yet. Some things have, some things are still yet to come. So we're talking about future things, so we're marked Isaiah chapter 46, and you're going to learn something about God before we get into chapter 24 of Matthew. Isaiah 46, this chapter talking about idol worship, how people at that time, we don't have it so much in our country now, it is, it does exist around the world, but idolatry is this worship of gods that are represented in little statues, little wooden carvings, and and we see that around the world, and God is saying through Isaiah that this really silly, because you can pray to a little statue and, and it can't do anything, it's got eyes but it can't hear, I mean eyes but it can't see, it's got ears but it can't hear. It's got a mouth, but it can't talk. it can't answer your prayers. It's just a little wooden statue, some guy carved. But he says, "I, God says, I am the living God. When you pray, I can answer." And so he's talking about just this, the stupidity really, of, of worshiping an idol. And look at um, verse Look at verse eight, of verse of chapter 46. He says, "Remember this and show yourselves men." Remember what? The stupidity of worshiping things that, uh, of idols. Vehicles and material things and that, that sort of thing. Remember this and show yourself men. Recall to mind, O oh, you transgressors, or you who cross the line. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Well, what are you like, God? Tell, you know, what, what is it about you that is so unique well he tells us one of the things is verse 10 declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure and he goes on to talk about in in verse 11 I will bring to pass I have purposed it I will also do it Uh, so this is the interesting thing about God is one of the qualities of God is knowing the future. I mean, what are you going to teach God? I mean, he created it all. He's, this is what he says. He can declare the end. He, imagine, you know, like when, you're, when you've watched a movie and you know the end, and you're watching it now with someone who hasn't seen it yet, and you kind of tell them what happens because you already know the end. Because in your mind, you've already seen it. But the person you're watching with haven't, hasn't seen it. To, to them, it's still new. They don't know what's going to happen. But you know because you've already seen it. And you can tell them, Ooh, this part coming up. This is what happens. Well, that's how God is with the world. You see, in, in eternity, everything's already happened. That'll, that'll like blow your mind. Spend a little time meditating on that. So he, God can tell from the beginning what's going to happen at the end and from ancient times he can tell things that are not yet done haven't happened yet that's part of being God so that's important why because we take that foundational truth and we march back to Matthew 24 because now we have Jesus speaking and he's going to answer a question spurred on uh, by the disciples Matthew 24, 1 begins with, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. So Jesus had been teaching and having these discussions with the Pharisees in the temple area. And he had just just looked back to the end of chapter 23... He said, oh, how I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, I wanted to protect you, but because you have rebelled against, because you have uh, not accepted me, the result of that is going to be, verse 38, your house is going to be destroyed. And I say to you, you you won't see me anymore until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So that's where they kind of left off. Look, Jesus now leaves the temple... For the last time, he's never going to be in the temple area, in the temple again. So it's sort of like the glory of God departing. They kicked him out. They didn't want him. So he leaves and the result of that is it's going to be destroyed. Now God had it built. Now this temple we're talking about was not the temple Solomon built. This was the temple Ezra built when he came back from from Babylon. And then it was really improved by Herod. Herod the Great did, made a lot of improvements. To it. it was absolutely stunning. It was one of the wonders of the world. This temple was absolutely stunning. And, and the stones it was built of, we saw some of them when we were in Israel. I mean, huge 400 tons in the foundation stones of the temple. It, it's tremendous. And so Jesus departs from the temple, and, and the disciples understand what he's... What, what he was saying, and so they come to him, and they say, Jesus, you know, look at this temple as they're, as they're leaving. Matter of fact, in Mark, it's written like this. One of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. I mean, look at, the, look at this temple. In Luke, it says like this, Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and things donated. So they were just enamored with this temple that was sort of the representation of, 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 uh, of, supposed to be the representation of God and his presence, but it had ceased to function as it was supposed to. So God said, I have no problem destroying it. I have no problem doing away with it. But they were, so, is there anything in your life that you're just certain is always going to be there? That that's what you're trusting in? Is that kind of the thing you always look to? That's the thing that, that you're putting all your... Emphasis on this thing. Well, it's just always going to be there. You trust that your health is just to always going to be there. Or you trust that that job is just always going to be there. And you can begin to take those things for granted and say, Hey, you know, look, this is, this is stable. This is foundational. This is strong. I mean, that's what they said about the Titanic, right? Because look what Jesus says next. They're showing him how beautiful the temple is. And Jesus says, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, wait a second, Jesus. Did, are you, do you see the temple? Yeah, but the, that, that's a remarkable statement. It's huge. And Jesus says, it, it, it's going to be dismantled. It's going to be taken apart. It's going to be thrown down. And I imagine, they, they couldn't imagine how in the world that would happen. And so they're curious about it, but you know, the Titanic, the, the unsinkable ship, and it sank. And the Twin Towers, I mean, if someone had told us before 9 11 that if, if we had been standing in New York City and we said, man, look at those towers. And then we were standing with someone, and he said, you know what? Within a couple of years, those towers are going to be a pile of rubble on the ground. Psh, come on, no way. Not possible. And that's exactly the, the, the feeling that they would have had looking at the temple. No way. There's no way. Because he just said, your, your house is going to be desolate. It's going to be destroyed. So now they're turning this over. By, by the way, this, this does happen. In 70 AD, uh, the Romans destroyed the temple. And they did it by lighting fire, light, going around uh, and collecting trees, putting them on the temple, lighting them on fire. Uh, the stones that the temple was made of were limestone. And when the heat from the fire heated up the, the water, the moisture in the limestone, it expanded and the stones basically exploded. And, uh, and all the rubble and then the Romans went through to get all the gold out from inside there and, and just the whole temple destroyed 70 AD. So this is well beforehand. Jesus is telling them about something that has yet to happen. So verse 3 says they're, they're turning this over. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, which is just across to the east from the temple, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, before we get into these next two chapters, there's a few things we have to get straight. Uh, One commentary that I was reading says this about these chapters. Few chapters of the Bible have called forth more disagreement among interpreters than Matthew 24 and its parallels in Mark 13 and Luke 21. The history of the interpretation of this chapter is immensely complex. What makes it so difficult? Jesus is talking to us, to them, about things that haven't happened yet. And it's like, do you do jigsaw puzzles? Is anybody like into jigsaw puzzles? And you, you lay there, you got all the pieces and they're kind of all laid out on the table. And you're looking at them going, I'm not sure how all these things fit together. Or, and maybe even as you start to get one section together, there are other sections that still, you can't really tell how it all fits together. And, and this is how it is as we look at Bible prophecy all the pieces are right here, but sometimes it's very hard for us to understand how all of these things fit together historically, what they would have meant to them, what they mean for us living in the age we live now, and then what they mean in the future. And sometimes the timing of things is very confusing. You see, they ask three questions, or what seems to be three questions, right? When will these things be? Now, I would have asked, how? How will these things be? how is this temple going to be destroyed? Because I just can't fathom that. I just can't think about how who's going to destroy this temple and how's it going to happen. You know, Just like I would have asked about the Twin Towers. How in the world is that going to happen? But they asked, when? When? And isn't that oftentimes our question for God? We hear what you say about something coming, God, but when? I want to know when. And the timing is what's so confusing sometimes because as they ask these questions, tell us when will these things be, and what are the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? For them, I think this would have been lumped together in one big lump. They would have seen all these things happening all at the same time. That Jesus would come back, he'd destroy the temple, he'd set up his kingdom, it would end that age and start the reign of the Messiah on the earth. That, that would all happen right together quickly. But it's not that way, and that's why Jesus gives them these things Gives them this sermon to show them that it's not going to happen the way they think it's going to happen. But but interesting questions: When will these things be? What's the timing of this? When when is this temple going to be destroyed? Uh, They want to see signs. How are we going to know? How how are we going to know, Lord? How do we know it's your voice? How do we know this? How do we know that? They want to know. How are we going to know when you're coming? Now, which is interesting to ask someone who's right there. Have you thought about that? You know, we, Jesus is standing right there and they're saying, when are you coming? But in, in the Gospel of John, it comes out really clearly. Oftentimes, Jesus talked to them about having to go away. You know, John 14, he talks about, hey, I, I'm going to prepare a place for you where I'm going. You can't come, but I'm coming back. And in John 7 and John 8, both of those chapters, he talks about, I got to go away. And they don't understand. They say, well, where's he going? Is he moving away somewhere? Or is he gonna... Is he, one of the chapters they say, is he gonna commit suicide? I mean, where's he going that we can't come with him? So they've talked about this a lot. He says, what are gonna be the signs of your coming? And we know Jesus came the first time into the Major, Bethlehem, the Incarnation. And then he left the Ascension. He's coming back. Jesus is coming back. And this is what this is all about. When, they say, how are we gonna know what's the sign of your coming? And, of course, the the end of the age. Do you think about that very much? That the things are not going to continue infinitely as they are now on the earth? That there will be an end? I mean, some of us look at the news and we say, well, that makes perfect sense because how can things possibly continue at the rate that they're going right now? I mean, how can the economy... How can we continue to produce food for the consumption rate that we do now? How can we continue to... To, to live the way we do now how can we consume oil at the rate we do how can we consume energy at the rate we do how can things ever possibly continue and Jesus says they won't the Bible is clear folks this is a temporary situation we are um, just passing through this world we're just passing through this earth uh, our home is not here our home is heaven my home is heaven but it's important because some of us live like, this is the way it's going to be forever. Like, this is, this is what we're living for, what's here. And Jesus is clear saying, look, these things are going to come to an end at some point. And there'll be a new deal, and that's going to be, it's not going to be about what's Russia doing, it's not going to be about what's Iraq doing, it's not going to be about what's the U.S. doing, or, or what's happening over there. It's going to be about what Jesus is doing during the, the, his reign on the earth. That's what the big story is going to be. He's gonna and we're gonna rule and reign with Christ. But that's so. This is I'm trying to give a little bit of, of background as to why these questions. And he's gonna answer all three of them. And really, you know, people debate: is it two questions? Is it three questions? Um, I'm not gonna get into that. But for today, we're gonna to get down to verse 14 at some point. I promise you. Three things just to know: don't be deceived. Don't be troubled and don't give up simple simple because we can volumes of books have been written on how to understand and how these things fit together and and i'm just i want to keep it simple not that i want to dumb down what's there but i think we can miss the forest for the trees or miss the trees for the forest maybe And so we're going to look at what Jesus is saying very unmistakably. We can argue about what's questionable, but there's some things in here that are unquestionable. And number one, he tells you and I, don't be deceived. He tells you and I and his disciples, don't be troubled. And he tells you and I, don't give up. Don't give up. So, as he answers the question, verse 4. So Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Now you can circle that word or right next to that word deceives, lead astray, lead astray. That's literally what that word means, to be deceived or to be led astray. And that's what is going to happen when you ask for a sign, when signs are things that you are looking for as they are, the difficulty is we can be easily led astray. Because some people say, oh God, uh, I really, I really want to marry this guy. Or I really want to marry this girl. I just, if you could just give me a sign that he's the right one. And then like a leaf falls out of a tree, you know. And oh, thank you, Lord, that was the sign I was looking for. You know, sometimes we see what we want to see. And we say, oh, that was the sign. And that's the danger when you're looking for signs, is that you can be easily led astray. And sometimes the signs that we're looking for reflect something we really desire inside. And that's why false teachers and, and, and can easily lead people away by telling them what they want to hear. So, he says, take heed. And I'll say the same thing to you. Look, this whole end times thing, we live in the last days now. You know, if you're on the last lap or the last laps of a race, that means the end of the race is coming. It might be two laps away, it might be four laps away, but if you're on the last laps in the pool or on the track, you know the end is coming, right? The Bible says from the day of Pentecost, we are living in the last days. The problem is, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, as a thousand years like a day. He doesn't do time like we do. So we think, oh man, it's been so long, and God says, what do you mean? It's been two days. Two thousand years is like two days but we know it's coming to an end because we're living in the last days. And so all of this stuff is even true now as we come up to the end that people can be easily deceived. Well, how are people deceived? Verse 5 says, Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will lead many astray. So just because a person carries a Bible, wears a suit, preaches on TV, doesn't mean they really care about you. Doesn't mean they're really telling you the truth. So what is it... How do you keep from being led astray? How do you know what's right, what's wrong? You know, when I was in, in graduate school, I, did, I, I got to participate in a gross anatomy class. And if you know what gross anatomy it is, you know it's gross. Uh, dissecting a, a, a human body. That's gross anatomy. And, and I was in a class that did that. And the teacher would teach us all about what was right. He would teach us, show us how the anatomy was supposed to look, so that when we saw something that was odd, because what I learned is there's all these little kind of oddities in us that we don't even understand or see. uh, So when we would be able to to recognize that, when we knew it was right, it became so much easier to recognize what was wrong. Because here's the challenge we face is we get so focused on talking about all that's wrong. Oh, well, well, that's false because of this, and that's false because of that, we, the Da Vinci Code this, and the that, and the, these people, and those people. And... But all you have to know is what's right. If you know what's right, you can always recognize what's wrong. So the key to not being led astray is to know the voice of Jesus. If someone is saying something to you and it's making you fear, that's not the voice of Jesus. If someone's saying something to you and, and making you worry, or or, or manipulating you, that's not the voice of Jesus. That's not your shepherd's voice. If there's a voice in your world that's condemning you, that's not the voice of Jesus. He didn't come in to condemn the world, he came to save the world. So, this is what Jesus is concerned about for the disciples, that they would not be led astray. And verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. we got plenty of that going around, right? Plenty of those. And sometimes when we see, oh, there's another war, the end is coming. We can be like, the church can sometimes be like Chicken Little. The sky is falling, the sky is falling. You know, And we, we've had no lack in our day. You know, the world was supposed to end May 12th. Did you know that? Because that was the Mayan calendar, May 12th, 2012. But then there was the guy who predicted it would end last year, but it didn't. So then he had to revise his date and then it was sometime this year I think it's passed again and so we've got no lack of of people you know claiming the sky is falling and and any, any minute now Jesus is coming back and putting a date on it and all of those things and every time there's something new that happens we just get all oh you know there's a war the end is coming but what does Jesus say don't be troubled don't be troubled by that don't get uptight don't get out of control don't freak out For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. This is part, it's the beginning of the end, but it's not the end. So there'll be wars, there've always been wars. There's been wars since the beginning of time. All the way back to the garden, you know, Cain and Abel, the first war. So there'll be wars, and I'll tell you, we'll we'll get down, and I'll explain this in in a few minutes as we get to one of the next verses here, but he says, don't be troubled. For for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation, or ethnos, or ethnic group, will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines, and pestilences, and commotion, or earthquakes, in various places. And we've certainly seen earthquakes in various places. So we see all of these things that are the beginning of the end, that are leading up to the end, And then this is verse, verse 8 is very interesting. He said, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. So they're asking, when is going to be the end? And he says, this is just the beginning. And this is not a real feel-good, seeker-friendly passage we're looking at here. Uh, But the beginning of sorrows, the word sorrows literally, literally means travails or birth pains. And it speaks of a woman in labor. And so when, I remember when my wife, when we were pregnant with uh, our first, Jacob, and you know, when you're young, we we blew off the Lamaze classes, like we thought we do not need that stuff, so we had like no idea what to expect when, when, you know, we're outside working and you go, ooh, you know, Helga gets the first little labor pain, and you're not sure, you know, maybe it was something I ate, or or, and, and so you keep on going, and then you finally realize it's labor, and not just breakfast, because they get stronger and they come faster with more intensity. And so I believe this is what we're going to see. This is the beginning of sorrows. It's like for them back at this time in in 30 AD, it was the beginning of sorrows. But throughout time, it's not that anything new is going to happen. It's that the intensity and the frequency is going to increase and increase and increase. There have always been earthquakes. Earthquakes. But I think we're going to see more and more. And they're going, it's going to go for, there's going to be a period where this labor pain comes and it's going to be quiet for a while. And then there's going to be another period where we're going to see a couple of earthquakes happening, you know, big ones, and they're going to get bigger and they're going to get stronger. And, and we've had that kind of stuff. So this is the beginning of sorrows, he says. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Well, that's good news, isn't it? Man, that's a happy thought. Uh, you know, Christians take the blame for a lot of stuff. Christians take the heat, and this is what will happen as these things happen. They'll blame the Christians, potentially, for, for what the, the, the earthquakes or for these things. Well, it's the Christians' fault, or the Christians did this. And so it's quite possible that these things, that that's part of why the tribulation. Uh, and this was the reality for the disciples. All of them were persecuted and uh, killed, with the exception of the Apostle John, for Jesus' name. I couldn't think of a better thing to be killed for. They will deliver you up to tribulation, to, to pressure, to trouble, and kill you. This is a, we, we don't like this one. You'll be hated. Listen, Christian... Uh, the Bible says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. So recognize this. Don't expect that everybody is going to be your pal because you're a Christian. Matter of fact, if everybody is your pal, if you can manage to get along with everybody, and then I wonder if you're really out, uh, uh, forthcoming with your relationship with Jesus. Because somebody isn't going to like it when you talk about Jesus at work. Now, you don't have to be a weirdo about it. You know, you don't have to purposely be weird in, in talking about Jesus. But they ought to see, a, you know, a, a life that, that is a life of love and, and those types of things. But, you know, some people, just Jesus is offensive, right? So you'll be hated by... All, I had a friend that I was working with at one time and I had been sharing the gospel with him for, you know, a course of a year. We'd worked together off and on and, and I hadn't seen him for a while and then we ran into each other at the store. And he said, I became a Christian. And I said, really, that's awesome. What, what changed for you? He said, I was just, I was studying world religions. And I realized that every religion, every area in the world persecutes Jesus. So he must be God. Because there's a universal persecution of the Christian all over the world. And so therefore he must be the true God. If he's the only one that is universally persecuted. So I thought, well, that... I like that, that makes sense. And then many will be offended or literally stumbled. So if you get into this Christian life thinking that it's just a ticket for networking so you can do business with people, you know, like I'm going to become a Christian because there's a lot of good people down there and I'm going to network and I'm going to make some business uh, deals and I'm going to make some business affiliations and then you realize people start hating you because you're a Christian and then you realize that things get a little bit tough, there's persecution sometimes involved that can really be a stumbling block because you were told that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And somehow being hated by all nations and having persecution doesn't fit into that great plan for your life. And so if people don't understand that, if they don't understand that when you get saved doesn't mean God is just going to clear your path and you're just going to tiptoe through the tulips of life until I get to heaven and then I'm just going to lay down, you know... It's more like arrows and darts and rockets and, you know, these are the kind of things uh, that we face. And if you're not prepared for that, and then it happens, when, when your boss treats you differently or when someone, your family sort of ostracizes you or, or mocks you at Thanksgiving, be, oh yeah, you're the, you're the Bible person, why don't you pray? That's my job at my house is to pray because I'm the religious guy. And you can be mocked by family. And if you're not ready for that, you can either easily say, you know, forget it. Just pack it in. It was easier when I wasn't a Christian. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, look, be careful. Some people are going to try to deceive you. Others are going to try to kill you and will succeed for my name's sake. And then, so a lot of people are going to be offended. And people are going to betray one another and will hate one another. And I think we, we can we can even see shades and shadows of that even in our own communion, where there's people within the body of christ that uh, that hate one another. this denomination against that denomination and this group against that group look at verse eleven, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many or lead many astray so the the ground is ripe when when you have Uh, difficulty, when you have pressure, when you have people turning against each other and turning others in, so to speak. Uh, That's a ripe ground for false prophets or, or again, someone who speaks, seems to be speaking the Word of God, but it's not true. Lead people astray. You know, again, I want to encourage you folks. You've got to be discerning. You've got to think. And so much of the church is just gobbling up. If it's on TV... Or somebody says it or someone writes a book about it. It must be true. No, it's not. You've got to be smart. You've got to think and oh, that the Lord would help his church to think about things and not just blindly follow what anybody is saying. And here's Peter. In Second Peter says, you know who gets led astray? Unstable people. That's who false teachers lead astray. Unstable people. People who aren't grounded in the word. People who aren't certain in their faith. People who have desires of the flesh. That's who gets led astray. So, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And verse 12, look at this, this is incredible. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. We see that happening today? Is this, is this one of those labor pains that's coming to indicate that the end uh, is coming? What is lawlessness? Lawlessly, lawlessness literally means to be without law. Someone who says, I'm going to do what I feel is right. What's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. And if I think this is right, that's right. And there's no moral base. We just all do whatever's right in our own eyes. Isn't that the world we live in today? Isn't that where we are? We're throwing... Uh, the Ten Commandments out of the courtrooms, out of the courthouses, we're dismantling any place culturally and, and uh, politically where, you know, look, and, and I don't, I say this with a troubled heart, you know, our county does not open its county meetings in prayer. Our, our Senate does nationally, our Congress does nationally, but our county, our own county, Fluvanna County, which has been very... Um, open to things of the church and religious things we still have a a place where where I think there's a lot of openness to uh, things of Christ here in our community but yet politically you may not know this our county when when the board of supervisors meet they do not open in prayer and so we we can easily get to that place where now there's false teachings and and that can be so discouraging to people and then people say well you know what this group says that, and that group says that, and that group says that, and how do we know what's right so I'm just going to forget about the whole thing and do whatever I want? Because there must not be a God. And Jesus says, please be careful of that line of thinking. Please be careful of going down that road. Because what happens is when you begin to say, well, I'll just do whatever I want, and that begins to increase, do you know what decreases proportionally in a society? Is love. Is love. And the love, of ma- the love of many will grow cold. Now, what does the Bible tell us? This is why the church stands out in the last days. Because God calls the church to have fervent love for one another. So the love in the church can't grow cold. Because this is how we're a light. This is how we're salt in the earth. In the earth where the love of many is growing cold. Where people are just so self-centered and so self-driven my wife was telling me, Helga and I were talking the other day she had gone to the, I think it was either the blockbuster box or the red box and, and now you can reserve your movie on, on, before you go to the red box and, and there was a sign on the red box that said, like if there's a long line and you're like at the end of the line the sign said, don't let the people in front of you get your movie you know, you can now, you can link up to the satellite and you can now, while you're standing in line, reserve your movie so that that person in front of you doesn't get it. I'll show them. I'll get mine. i am watch my movie if I want to watch my movie. And I'll make sure you're going to bump the end of the line. It kind of defeats the purpose of a line, doesn't it? I mean, and that's just a silly example of the love of many growing cold. How's your love doing, you know? How's the love in your marriage doing? How's the love for Jesus doing? The love for Jesus. Is your love for God, have you left your first love? Would you say your love for God has grown cold? That you're now like, well, maybe I'll just kind of, I'll show up to church, but I'm still going to do what I want anyway. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my, what? Commandments. If you love me, love other people. And if our love for other people if our love for God grows cold, then our love for people grows cold. And if we're, gonna, if we're destined to live in a loveless world, take me now. Take me now. But if the church can be, by the power of God, this shining light in a dark background of a loveless world, of a world that's growing cold, then praise the Lord. Because people see the love, people see you guys are crazy. The things you guys do for each other, It's nuts. The way you help each other out, the way you bake meals for each other, the way you just get, the way you gather together, and people see that and they go, you know what? At work, people treat me terrible, but I come to church, and there's this love there. What is up with you guys? Where do you get that? Where's that from? It's from Jesus. It should be. I pray. The love of many will grow cold, but verse 13, and here's where we said, don't be deceived, don't be troubled. And verse 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. So again, the end will come, but not until every nation has had a chance to hear God says, I'm going to make sure that that nobody's left out. It's not like God loves America more than he loves the, the Indians living in the jungles of Ecuador. So, and, and then the end will come, but who's going to be saved? Not those that started well, got deceived. Not those that started well and got troubled. Not those that started well and gave up. Look, it's a confusing world we live in, isn't it, folks? I mean, and, and religiously, it's a very confusing world. There's all kinds of, of false teachings out there of this is the way to heaven or that's the way to heaven this is the way to happiness that's the way to God you know six steps to eternal bliss and seven steps to nirvana and all of these things are out there and, and it's easy just to pack it in and say forget it I don't even want to think about it and Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life and I'll prove it to you because I'll tell you things that are going to happen before they happen and I'll prove to you that I am who I say I am among other things So be careful about getting discouraged. Be careful about giving up. Be careful about getting troubled. You know, we all get the Y2K thing. And oh, the end is going to come. Year 2000. Computers are going to shut down. We've got to store up our food. Everybody's worried. Stop it. Jesus is Lord. And we don't have to live like chicken littles, right? So... This is just this was the talking about the beginning of sorrows. This is just the beginning of the sermon. It's gonna be some challenging stuff we'll get through, but I think we'll um we'll watch the Lord unfold these things in front of our very eyes. And some of the things we'll go, you know what? I don't understand that, but it's okay. Amen? Let's pray. Father, uh, again we thank you for the for your word, uh for the things we do understand and the things we don't understand, Lord. Um we know that the weakness is on our part. That now we, we see like a, a foggy mirror, Lord. But when we're with you, it'll all be clear. It'll all be clear. Father, I pray that we would uh, understand what you're saying to us today. And that we would be people uh, looking for you, waiting for you, expecting you. Father, we recognize that this is a All the things of this world, be it temples or shrines or domes or whatever, even church buildings, are temporary. They're forms, and the substance is Christ. And I pray that we would be able to be uh, focused on the substance and not the form. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.